Welcome back to Outgrowing the Good Christian Girl, and I am so excited for today. This is episode two, and it is the first day in a three-part series about hell. This was one of the topics I just had started wondering about, like, am I really understanding hell correctly? Like having been raised in an evangelical American church, thinking of hell as this pit of fire where God sent sinners. And I just, I just had questions about it. I started wondering, like, this view of God made me fear my salvation. It didn't seem to line up with the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And if God is love, then it seemed like those attributes should reflect him as well. And I, I didn't understand how hell could fit into that. And so my mom told me about this sermon at the church my sister goes to in North Carolina about hell. And I was very skeptical because for me, even though I had questions about it, I thought, well, this just is the way it is. This is what is the biblical understanding of hell, this pit of fire where God sends sinners in judgment. So I listened to the sermon and I, the whole time was like mind blown. Like after the first few minutes, I had to turn it off and think about it and just start reading through Romans again and be like, is a lot of the stuff I believed like from popular ideas of hell rather than from the Bible. So I start reading through Romans and I'm like, oh my goodness, how have I missed so much stuff about hell? So I want to start by having the pastor who gave that sermon, Pastor Steve Doherty, come on. So Steve Doherty has been a pastor for 20 years. He's the teaching pastor at Cross Point Church in North Carolina, where my sister goes. He's also an author. His book is called Experiments in Honesty, Meditations on Love, Fear, and the Honest-to-God Naked Truth. He and his wife, Christy, and their three kids live just outside of Raleigh which is where my brother and my sister and my sister-in-law live. You can follow and see some of his writing and his cartoons because he's also a cartoonist. How cool is that? On Twitter or Instagram at stepdoc, um, S-T-E-P-D-0-C. So let's check out this interview with Pastor Steve. I hope it speaks to you as much as it did to me. Pastor Steve, thank you so much for being here. So Pastor Steve, you gave a sermon on hell a few weeks ago, and I immediately thought I have to have this guy on my podcast. The sermon, like it completely blew my mind. I have never heard anything like that before. Like I've grown up in church my entire life. How have I never heard what you shared? Like this was incredible. So, okay. Before I get ahead of myself, would you first tell us when you first became a pastor, Mm -hmm. what did you believe about hell? We're just jumping right in with the deep questions. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know how you news whether in sports eternal damnation. So let's just do it. <laughs> uh, also, just call Sounds me Steve. Great. Steve is okay. fine. Yes. Sounds or, good. Or His Holiness, but not not Pastor oh, Steve. That works too. Okay. Yeah, I like but that. So. Uh, so I I believed uh, before I was a pastor uh, a long time before I was a pastor uh, that hell was real. I, I mean, I like a, like a lot of us as young people, I was sort of haunted by the idea of that. Uh, haunted is a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I think in the back of my head, I wouldn't have said it this way then, but in the back of my head, I always had this strong suspicion that there, there's just no way that that's possible. It, you know, mm-hmm. if I had, if I felt like I had the permission to, to doubt it was, it was there. There's just no way, there's no way that the pinnacle of all creativity and love God, uh, Mm-hmm. came up uh, with this to address all that we get wrong. You know, it sounds more like what a, what an uninspired madman would come up to punish crime. <laughs> um, That's true. Not, not, there's no way the creator of photosynthesis and, and, and the crab nebula and the human brain came up with 
something as cartoonish as I'm going to, I'm going to hurt you forever. So mm-hmm. when I first became a pastor though, that's, it was, I still, I still felt like I had to believe that, you know, and I still had mm-hmm. to believe because it was in the Bible and because things didn't like, you know, like the gospel and good news and all that didn't make sense without it. So I became a pastor, right. not able to understand the good news of hell or the good news w- without hell mm-hmm. because that's, you know, that's the water we were all swimming in. So, right. so that was the lens. Uh, and, and like a lot of pastors, um, that meant that I understood the good news to be counter to bad news. Um, mm-hmm. and, and which isn't very inspired. I say this a lot, you know, like, that's like saying that I think my wife is pretty, as long as there's, you know, unattractive women around that she, she can only be, she, she can only be attractive to me as long as there's unattractive options. Right. And it's always in comparison. Yeah, it's it's really that's really uh, not very inspired. So 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 the bad news that I thought the good news was juxtaposed against was that you know all the stuff I stole from Circle K and all those cuss words and premarital <laughs> sex and all that meant God mm-hmm. God rightly intended intended to abandon me in a, in an endless torture chamber that 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 God had created. The good news was that if I come to the right conclusion about Jesus, then I could get out of that. And I get to live forever at, you know, this big sky party where hopefully I can forget all my friends that didn't arrive at the same conclusion because, you know, they're on fire. Mm-hmm. Right. So I preached a, an admittedly more sophisticated version of this to high school kids and young adults and adults. I spoke at conferences. I, I, in, I insisted that this was the gospel. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I accept that that's where I was. It's, a, it's regrettable that I participated in, in that religious trauma. Uh, that that affected mm-hmm. a lot of young people, but that's where I was, and I thought I was saying and doing the right thing. Yeah, no, that's fair. I feel like one of the things I've had to work through myself is accepting where I was in the past mm-hmm. and not just wanting to throw it all out, but like accepting like that was a real part of my story mm-hmm. and part of the journey. Mm-hmm. So, what was the result or the fruit that you saw in your life or even in other people's lives due to understanding hell in that way? Uh, I, I really like that question. That's, that's, um, that's how I frame just about everything. Like, uh, when, when somebody says they believe something and they're able to defend it, I, I, I'm real big on, yeah, fine. But what's the fruit of it? Um, because like Jesus said, mm -hmm. look for the fruit. Yeah. 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 It doesn't, you can argue about the tree and it's Latin genus and all that stuff, but it comes (laughs) down to like, are those oranges or not? And if they're mm, not, yeah. that, like that's the end of the conversation for Jesus. So I love the question. Mm. And I would say that the fruit of understanding hell as, as a literal place reinforced something fear-based. Um, mm. uh, so the fruit of it was fear. It, it was anxiety, um, which is in large respects antithetical to love. So, and that's not to say yeah. all, all fear is bad. Fear is pretty useful when appropriately attached to, to danger. You know, if a, if a lion were to come into my room sure. right now and I didn't fear it, right. that this <laughs> the podcast would be over. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you'd be like, "What kind of pets does he have?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, but but this existential fear is the opposite of self self giving love, uh, and right. and this was key for me. Um, when you ask about the fruit that it produces, I believe in, in a God that will torture or accommodate the circumstances for torture endlessly, mercilessly. If you don't come to the right conclusions about Jesus, that keeps you anxious for you and for your loved ones. Absolutely. And that anxiety accumulates into self-preoccupation, you know? 
Oh, interesting. So, yeah. so when you're afraid and when you're bogged down in the fear of anxiety, you aren't very able to think in terms of self-sacrifice. You're thinking about how to survive. Right. So how to right. avoid pain, how to avoid uh, harm. So the majority of your energy gets focused on you or your team. Yeah. And, and that's what fear does. It, focus your, it focuses your, your resources on you and your own interests. So if the, if the entire Bible is love yeah. of others... Jesus insists that it is, (laughs) then threatening people with endless bodily harm is the worst idea a God could ever have because it makes us do Mm -hmm. the opposite of what he says is the point. So, wow, that is interesting. Yeah. So the fruit of the belief in hell is fear and anxiety and tension and us versus them and a complete to me antithesis of don't worry about tomorrow, love your neighbor, lift others' interests above your own, you know, the way of Christ. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. antithetical. Mm. So, what was that aha moment for you when you thought maybe we're misunderstanding scripture in this area? Like what brought you to that place? I don't know if I could pinpoint the, the like the one thing, but there, sure. but there, there are some moments early on when I heard people talk about hell um, as when, when they'd say it was too awful to believe. And I wanted to say that, but I couldn't early on. I would hear others sure. confront that people who believed in literal hell. Um, they would say, well, you're just being emotional. And I would come back to that. Like I even remember somebody drew a train one time, like the outline of a train. And they said, the mistake we make is that the engine is emotion and then facts and doctrine is the caboose or, caboose or something like that. I don't remember. Uh-huh. I just remember uh, you don't want emotion to be the engine of this choo-choo train. So, that, that was a real, like, no matter how I feel about it, those feelings aren't legitimate if the, if doctrinally, you know, if I, if it's, we are really taught not to trust our feelings a hundred percent church circles. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, so a big aha, I don't know if it's the, but, uh, aha for me, mm-hmm. um, because I thought that critique was damning, you know, like, okay, it doesn't matter how we feel. Sure. Um, yeah. ha- having children was, was a big game changer. And I don't think that you can only come to these conclusions if you have children. I don't mean to say that to your listeners that, that haven't or will not be having children, but to look at my child and say, I am going to hurt your body. If you don't do my will, obviously that's broken. Right. But then for Jesus to say like, God's even a better father than mm -hmm. us. Like, yeah. Yeah. So how does that work? But see, then you've got to say, is my in my unwillingness to eternally harm my son, for instance, is that because I'm not as good as God? It, if I loved my son as much as God loved him, then I would be willing to arrange for his eternal torture. It, it starts to break down. Hmm. Uh, and maybe I was just late to the party and needed to have my own children in view to, to break through. But it starts to break down when you recognize this isn't doctrine. This is allegedly reality. And I wouldn't do it. And I either wouldn't do it because I'm nothing like God, so I can't understand God. I can't know God, so I, I guess I'm not saved. Or I'm better than God. I don't think I'm better than God, but like that is the implication. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so f- for me, that, that was um, sort of an aha, and it was tied to the to the realization yeah. that this is emotional. That that oftentimes the the <laughs> the first part of the train is emotion. This. Like, is there anything more emotional than God's wrath? Of course, we're talking about emotions. We're talking about revenge. 
we're talking about what God, what God intends to do. I, I, I you know, this sounds uh, a little condescending. We're, we're talking about what God is going to do with God's hurt feelings. Hmm. I, I have insulted God with my very sinful presence, but this is very emotional. Hmm. Um, and so I, I, I began to see, um, I began to, to, to see that this whole conversation is what God does with God's upset. Uh, and, and does God get upset and therefore inflict pain or does God get upset and inflict righteousness? And I, I, mm. I just don't think it's, it's fair to say that's the same thing. God hurts people because it's right. I think that's gross. And if you can't imagine Jesus mm. doing it and you can't, um, then Jesus said, I'm like the father. And so that means whatever you thought that, you know, <laughs> uh, that was different than Jesus was, uh, needed adjusting. Yeah. And I think it's so true. Like, at least for me in a lot of things, I have questions. It started with emotion. It -hmm. started with like, this doesn't feel right. And then led to, well, let me explore this further. And from hearing your message, it seems like that's really what you've done too. You're not just like, okay, well, I'm not going to explore this any further. You've really like dug into like, what does scripture actually say about Uh this? And what you found is so surprising. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, if I'm not jumping too far ahead, if you could talk a little bit about the words for hell in the original language, this is something that I had never heard. What would they have meant to the audience back when the Bible was written back when Jesus was speaking on earth and you know, what would they have meant to the people listening? Yeah. Well, I'll say, let me say a couple of disclaimers first. Um, okay. I don't speak Greek, Aramaic or Hebrew. Uh, <laughs> okay. And that's important. Well, uh, so that's that's not just a disclaimer. It's it's alarming how many people who do what I do for a living and and forget that they don't speak these language these ancient languages b- because they've mm-hmm. taught them and in so many sermons say you know this word means this that they'll have a Greek interlinear Bible or they'll have you know blue letter Bible on on, on for free online and they share uh-huh. this is what this word actually means but they don't actually know the language. Mm. And, um, and so I don't think I'm just projecting, but I'm certainly including myself in this that for years have done that in sermons said that, you know, and I still do it, but I do so now with the understanding that I don't speak this language. Like I would never Mm. go to a a country now. And because I had a dictionary of their language, think that I could interact in their society and understand Mm. intent. I would just have something, you know, a cold static dictionary. So, so I want to say that, that totally makes sense. For, yeah. for my own sake and for, uh, for those listening that, um, if, if you can argue while being a Greek Aramaic or Hebrew speaker, how much more are you going to be, you know, <laughs> you should be a little less certain of what you're talking about when you don't actually even speak the languages you just have dictionaries. Mm, so that's good to remember. Yeah. It is for me. Um, so with that, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything new about the Bible being, you know, an old book that contains Hebrew and Aramaic and, and Greek, Koine mm-hmm. Greek. So in English, when your Bibles say hell, there are other words translated that aren't hell. And right. which at first that doesn't seem surprising, but I want, I want you to remember that hell is the name of a place in, in the standard thinking of, of, you know, going to a place called hell. Uh, so, you know, if I, if I said Jesus was crucified in Dayton, Ohio, 
you would be well within your rights to say, no, he wasn't. That's completely yeah. false, right? <laughs> right. But if I insisted that all I had done is translated the original name Jerusalem into a modern English word, Dayton, Ohio, you'd say, that's just ridiculous. You're an idiot, right? That doesn't make mm. sense because it's the name of a place. Mm-hmm. So over the, right. over the years, there are four places that have been translated into a new place called hell. So Sheol, Hades, Tartarus, and Gehenna. Uh, and in short, these are already places, and, 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 these, and renaming them as, uh, as some other place hundreds of years later in a, in a different language, what it obscures is what Jesus might have intended. I'm, I'm not one of those that mm-hmm. says this is exactly what he intended. This is exactly what people would have heard. But calling it another place that didn't exist you know, that mm-hmm. it's only going to make things uh, fuzzy. So in short, right. uh, the Hebrew Aramaic word in the Old Testament, Sheol, means the pit. King James translated it hell. Most of the modern translations don't do that anymore. So the word hell is not in the Old Testament. It's Sheol. Mm-hmm. And it just means the pit, the grave, the, the state of being dead or the, the, the nether world of death and not alive. So it's not torture. Um, it's just what happens to everybody. So Right. So then there's a in the ground. Right. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's another word, Hades, and it got translated as hell. Still does in a lot of modern translations. This word pops up in the New Testament. Um, but in a lot of modern translations, they now just put Hades in there because it's a whole other idea. This is a Greek place, and it's the name of the God that runs the place. Um, it's also another world. Some people say it's like a Greek equivalent to Sheol. I, I agree with parts of that. But it's a realm of the dead in Greek mythology. It's where the souls of people go after they die. Um, so it's it's not Jewish or Christian. It's Greek, like like Zeus or, or Kronos. I had Kronos. no idea. Yeah. 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 So you can you can do an entire study on Hades and never talk about Christianity. Uh, it's a it's a wow. whole other thing. Uh, so then there's uh, Tartarus. Um, this is another mythical Greek realm. It's actually, uh, as far as I understand it, it's a realm beneath Hades because they're stacked apparently. Oh, interesting. Okay. Ran out of real estate or something. I, I, I don't know. But this is <laughs> this is under Hades. And again, it's the name of that Greek deity, Tartarus. And so this is this is a mythical prison that holds beings who have offended Greek gods. Uh, and so ah, this is okay. also a completely different uh, pre slash non Christian idea. But the word does pop up. Uh, and at the moment, I can't think of where I want to say it's in one of the epistles with Peter's name on it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, okay. it, but it gets translated hell, but it's Tartarus. Okay. So, uh, and then there's Gehenna or, or Gehinnom, Valley of Hinnom. And so this is a, a term you see in the Old and New Testaments. This is a, a Jewish name for, for a, a valley outside of Jerusalem. Uh, and the interesting thing is you can go there today. And if you can't, if you can't go there today be, because you've got other plans, you can get on Google Maps and you can literally <laughs> find it. Uh, wow. On the internet. You can find it on Google uh, Maps. Um, I'm totally going to do that later. Yeah. Yeah. And, That's so cool. And there's, uh, like, if you Google it, you'll find, like, there's p- pictures of people walking. There's there's a park bench there. It's literally Gehenna. <laughs> it's literally the place. Wow. I think it's 11 times translated hell when Jesus says hell. This is what it's saying. Okay. Valley of Hinnom. Ah. So in Jesus's day for Jewish people and before, this place was associated with a curse because of some things that happened in the Old Testament where kings sacrificed their children to Molech there in the valley. Mm. And so you can find this in, in first and second Kings, I think. I should probably have been prepared for that uh, for this chat. But anyway, okay. yeah, 
I feel like that's pretty easy to Google on BibleGateway.com. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll find it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the long and the short of it is the Jewish kings were sacrificing their children on these uh, altars to Molech. It's a, it's a hideous thing. They're like, I think they're bronze statues of a cow and they have their arms outstretched. And then the back of them is an open furnace. So you get the whole thing real hot and then you lay the child in these oh my gosh. incredibly hot. Can you imagine? So, so God imagine. says he... God says God doesn't imagine it either. Um, I, I'm paraphrasing, but God calls out these kings and says, you sacrificed your children in the flames in the Valley of Hinnom. Th- this never occurred to me. This never entered my mind mm-hmm. for you to do, which is a very interesting mm-hmm. thing to remember when we say yeah. that that's what God does to people. Right. So, so this, this Gehenna is translated hell still in most of our Bibles. But it is not hell. It's the place where Jesus mm-hmm. and his disciples would have pointed, and literally today you can find. So it's important to say, then, well, then why does he talk about it that way? Well, there's lore associated with it where this is a place that people go when they die, but they don't go forever. And, and there's a lot of Jewish writings on this that, are, uh, that I, I would say are pretty clear about this. Gehenom, the lore, the, the mystical, um, uh, metaphorical place they called the Valley of Hanom. So it's a literal uh-huh. place, but it had some figurative stuff attached to it. They said okay. it, it, it wouldn't always exist, that people would go mm-hmm. there. And except for really rare exceptions of people who are so bent on evil, they won't change there after they die. Um, so except for really, really rare occasions, people go there for no more than 12 months. And, and it's, it's in this, whatever this is called Gehenna, this is where they wake up to the reality of their sin to, uh, against others they're reformed. And so whatever it is that happens mm. there, it fixes, for lack of a better term, it fixes them. They don't stay there for longer than a year. And then after that, they go and live with everyone else in you know, Olam Abba, the, the life to come. So so that's like Jewish lore about mm-hmm. Gehenna. Yes, you can, wow. you can find that um, extra biblically. There's, there are plenty of rabbinical writings. Uh, I think there's, uh, there's several things in the Babylonian Talmud. Um, you, can, you can find lots of writing about it. Wow. So when you see Jesus say hell in the New Testament, unless uh-huh. unless it's an older translation that was including Hades too, it's this word. It's this place, Gehenom. Wow. Okay. So when he's talking about like the fiery furnace in Matthew, that's this is the place he's talking about so there? So specifically a fiery furnace, that's different. So, so when okay. he says, um, uh, gouge out your eye because it's better to go to hell maimed. Or it's better to end okay. your life maimed uh-huh. than to go to hell with all your members, you know. So, so that's uh-huh. a that's a place he says it. Um, okay. uh, and, and so, so it's those places. Now, uh, Paul never uses this term, Gehenna. He never. So Paul, the the missionary to the Gentiles, never mentions right. hell. So even if hell was the name of the place, mention. right, right, <laughs> yeah, uh, he never brings it up. Um, and interestingly, interesting. uh, John's Gospel never mentions it. So, which is a kind of an oversight if you're sharing the gospel and the gospel is the good news is you don't have to go to hell. <laughs> he forgot to mention hell. Right. So, Interesting. So fiery furnace um, is literally yeah. a furnace of fire. Uh, okay. Like in, in uh, Matthew 13. Um, right. And, and Matthew 13 is a long list of parables about good and bad actors all mixed together, like, you know, the wheat and the weeds, about the subtlety mm-hmm. and the... Uh, of the, the kingdom, like the mustard seed and how even something as small as yeast can take hold, hold of, of all the dough. Um, 
you know, he says the kingdom's like a fisherman who takes his full net ashore and throws out bad fish and keeps the edible ones. And then right there, he says, and that's how it's going to be at the end of the era. Angels are going to appear mm-hmm. and there's going to be righteous and bad actors all mixed together. And like a fisherman on the beach, he's going to sort all that out. And then that's where he says, and the, and the, the, the bad get thrown in a fiery furnace. Mm. So if you already believe in hell, you'd be like, well, there it is. But right, right. But furnaces exist. And he just metaphorically said it's going to be like fishermen. And, and he says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And people don't realize that's, that's metaphoric language from psalms and lamentations where outsiders gnash their teeth and weep. Oh, so he's, Jesus is always telling people who think they're on the inside because of who they're related to. You're, you're going to be the the uh, the teeth gnasher. You're going to be weeping like an outsider Babylonian mm. looking in. You're going to be cast out into the the pain of being an outsider. I don't think he's threatening people with a with a stove. Gotcha. That does totally change the way we look at those passages. Mm-hmm. Understanding it, but again, you have to way, yeah, yeah. you have to recognize that if you come with an insistence that hell is real, uh-huh. like any other topic, frankly, right. you'll find support for it. But if you sure. if you come saying, "What if Jesus isn't really really good the first time, but then comes back different later and and hurts people forever?" Then you can sort of uh-huh. recontextualize his language about all this. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what about? You talked in your sermon about this idea of eternal punishment or everlasting destruction and how there's different words for that Mm. in the original language. Would you tell us more about that? Uh, I'll try. Um, (laughs) So we see the word eternal or everlasting in English, and it seems pretty straightforward, especially if you say it's, it's everlasting life and then everlasting torment or whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. if you take away everlasting torment, Especially if it's like Gehenna, it's like 12 months. Like, so it's more of a, an extended vacation in heaven, How does, you know, because <laughs> it's the same word. Right. So, uh-huh. so I just grant you that that's an interesting conversation. Um, the word is uh, Ionios, um, where we get our word eon, so far as I can understand. Um, a Young's literal translation is interesting because it translates when we see everlasting or eternal he, he, he says um, that you would literally translate that age enduring. So not infinite, mm-hmm. but it lasts okay. for an age. Like, gotcha. like a, okay. a particular length of time, like, right, a, right. like an eon. It's not forever. It's a sure. long time, but it's not forever. Um, mm-hmm. But it, 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 it begs the question, like I said, because it's the same word for eternal life. And, and, and maybe that's a, you know, a different podcast episode for somebody that speaks the language. It sounds like... But it sounds so fascinating, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already. It, it is. Yeah. So, so, you know, if it's if it's if eternal life means unending life, you know, does that mean it's just one thing then forever? Like, if it's ages, mm-hmm. seasons, and, and eons, then even eternal life becomes more interesting to me. You know, because a lot of us are like heaven is like one long walking around on clouds, playing hard, like one long mega church worship conference, <laughs> which would be cool maybe for, for me, like an hour. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm ready for a hike maybe, or yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, totally. so even when we say eternal life, we, we sort of know, I think down somewhere that we're not saying just one thing, but it's an era. Mm. And, and I, that's way more compelling and hopeful to me. 
that's really interesting. Yeah. And that's Ionios. It's, it's an age okay. that can be fulfilled. And then there's a chapter after it. And okay. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So going along with that, you were saying on the sermon, oh, I'm not going to get it right, but there's like two words for the punishment part of it. And one is what like a madman would do, a narcissist. And one is for the healing of the person. Am I remembering that correctly? Oh, I, I, uh, are you talking about, so there's retribution and then there's restoring. So retributive punishment Maybe, yeah. and restorative punishment. Yeah. That's not original with me. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a really huge, helpful distinction is to look through the scriptures and say, yes, there are retributive, retributive retribution acts attributed to God. I was just in uh, Deuteronomy 32 this morning. Um, mm. Moses writes a song and uh, I recommend it. it. It feels like maybe a really early heavy metal song. I mean, it's 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 hard. And then he's like, "I want you to teach this to your kids," you know. Oh my gosh! But it's really like God is like fed up, and it's just it's hardcore. And so you mm-hmm. kind of get from that like it does feel like retribution. But the 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 bigger view, and and I I mean that respectfully to people who want to you know they talk about the the whole counsel of scripture. The bigger view is that God is, even in Deuteronomy 32, um, God is a restorative God, ultimately, not mm. a, a retributive mm-hmm. God. And so when we see Jesus, we don't see God, Jesus taking revenge. He's prompted to. Right. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, do you not think I couldn't get, you know, 70 some thousand soldiers on my team to get down here and clean house, Peter? Put your sword away. That's not the movement. That's not how the kingdom actually works. I'm going to restore. I'm going to absorb and restore. So that's a huge shift for people to recognize that whatever hell represents, our English word mm. representing other ideas that we can only partially get our heads around, whatever it is, the nature and character of God presented throughout the whole council of scripture and then in the person of Jesus is restorative in nature, mm. not retributive. And the reason I think we can know that is because God is uh, God claims victory. And I, I don't know how God could claim victory if what God gets is burning down earth, which he called very good, mm-hmm. total loss, loses mm-hmm. most people, saving right. just a few people, and then they're going somewhere else to start plan B somewhere else. I don't know how that's victory. That sounds like loss and retreat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I think God uh, redeems the whole thing. I think that's what Colossians mm-hmm. is saying. Everything, mm-hmm. heaven and earth, invisible, invisible is redeemed mm-hmm. because God's a restorer. Right. Okay. So I have, I want to say like maybe two more questions about the specifics of scripture. And then I want to look at like the big picture briefly before we close. So um, let's talk briefly about Romans, particularly where it says like the wages of sin are death. Mm-hmm. So after hearing your sermon, I went back and I just started reading through Romans while I was nursing my child, my six month old. I'm just like reading chapter after chapter. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have been reading the word hell into this, but mm. it's actually the word death. So would you talk with us more about like this idea of the wages of sin and also this idea of death that they talk about in Romans? 
Yeah, while you're saying that, I was just remembering, it's not Romans, but uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, when he, he tells Christians that all things are yours, like stop stop arguing about who you follow, Apollos or Paul or Kepha. Uh-huh. And he says, all things are yours. And then he says, uh, life or death or the present or the future or uh, the entire cosmos, all things are yours because you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So I was just thinking, gosh, e- even even death is not you know, like we, we get, Mm. we have some, I'm trying to avoid the word, uh, the word authority. That's not exactly the right word, but like, it's, it's all, it's, it's all accounted for and it's, it's nothing Mm. to run from. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It's all accounted for. Anyway, in, uh, in Romans, um, I did the exact same thing. Um, (laughs) the, 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 the death equals hell thing. And, um, uh, which is interesting because Adam didn't take it that way. And the day that you eat the fruit, you'll surely die. And he ate it and didn't die and didn't go to hell. So it must it must mean something other than those two things. Mm. Um, so I think you could talk about it as hell. Um, let me explain what I mean. Like um, when you when you live in the way of death, like uh-huh. desperate survival and prioritized self interest. And everything is winning or losing. I, I just, I think you create the opposite of heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. And I think we all know that this is the case. You know, desperate mm-hmm. people acting desperately, desperation causing desperation, hurt, and and regret always follow from that. Um, I call that hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I call what corrupt leaders do to those who trust them, um, and what they lead them into. I call that hell. I call white supremacy mm-hmm. and systemic mm-hmm. racism hell. I call misogyny mm-hmm. hell. I call mm-hmm. abusive people uh, who who gaslight others. To, you know, I, I call that hell. Um, yeah. So these are all the ways of death, and, and it's not, mm-hmm. it's not very much at all like Jesus. It's antithetical to Jesus, um, and we often don't know we're participating in that stuff until it's too late, not always, but, but sometimes. And Jesus mm-hmm. said that those roads, they lead to destruction, to death and, and to ruin. That path is wide, you know, like a lot of people are going there. Mm-hmm. It's like there's double doors mm-hmm. on that mall and everybody's <laughs> rushing in. Lots of people go down that path. It's super yeah. popular because societies get sick with this kind of selfishness, this self-interest. And as a an, um, fellow American, um, I mean, just pick a direction and point and there's sickness <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere you point, right? Yeah, uh-huh. and I'm part of that. I'm not exempt from that. I, I am a sustainer mm-hmm. of that sickness. So, the gate to life is narrow, not the gate to heaven. That's gross. Mm-hmm. The gate to life is narrow. Like only a few people, it seems like, will squeeze through that gate to really live it because it's mm-hmm. inconvenient and hard and countercultural, and it, it's there's self abdicating in it. Only a few find that the find that life. So. So all that's death, the way of death, it creates hell. But I'm not saying it, I'm not saying that that literally creates a subterranean fire cave that God made to forever hurt our bodies. I'm I'm saying that I think that that Paul is warning people about the way of death and saying, look around, we've participated in this. Mm. Um. And so that's what it is to me. So, so you can call that hell. Yeah, I've been to hell. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, 
So one more nitty gritty <laughs> question um, is there are two passages that come to mind when I think about like the lake of fire, my husband and I were talking after we both listened to mm-hmm. your podcast. We're like, okay, what questions do we have? Um, I know revelation talks about the lake of fire and that one doesn't really bother me because revelation is such a symbolic book. So many interpretations, but the other is Jesus and the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. Mm. And I think for many Christians, that is the picture that is in our minds of what hell is like. Yeah. So would you tell us more about what, how you see that passage in now and in regards to hell as well. Yeah. Just a couple minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is no rush at all. <laughs> yeah. This, um, that story, um, of the rich man and Lazarus is probably the number one pushback that I, that I get, um, mm. on this idea. And there's a mm. lot there. So it's, so here's the short version. And this isn't as, as academic maybe as it deserves to be, but one, Jesus says Hades. He does not say hell. So, Interesting. So okay. right away, we should uh-huh. know culturally, he is referencing something that's not part of his own tradition. He's referencing something uh-huh. that's part of his culture, his society. Very interesting. Okay. okay. So he's using pop. That already changes the story. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, you should stop and go, okay, wait a minute. What does that word mean in the, in the popular Greek ethos uh, of, of the time? Uh-huh. Why is he making his point this way? So I, right. so right away we can't say he's giving us a doctrine of hell. He's using he's using popular yeah. speech. So like if I start a story and say a guy dies and goes to heaven, meets Saint Peter at the pearly gates, blah blah blah, right? You know uh-huh. I'm not teaching you about the afterlife. You know I'm about to tell you right. a different kind of story, right? Right. Or a joke mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay. So we already know that in a thousand years, if they see that I said that, they'd be like, oh wait, I, I think he's teaching about what happens after you die. No, I was telling a joke, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> How's that for narcissism? In a thousand years, I plan on being quoted. <laughs> wow. No, I didn't take it that way. Uh, uh, okay, so 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 it's a story, and it's a parable, and and mm-hmm. I'm not sure how your listener, listeners will feel about that, but a lot of people they recoil at the idea that this is a parable because they use Jesus uses Lazarus's name, because we were taught in sermons if if Jesus uses a real name, it can't be a parable. Uh, That's not really a thing. Gotcha. It's just okay. not. He just he uses his friend Lazarus's name. Leading up to this story, he has already told the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the shrewd manager, mm-hmm. and then this story. Interesting. Yeah. So those are we already know those are those are really really helpful fictions, parables. They're not false. Uh-huh. They're true. But they're he's 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 using re- real pictures of things to make another point. Right. So they're parables. Right. So so this is a parable. Um. And so here's the short version. He tells the story of a rich man that goes to Hades. And Lazarus, the name of Jesus's literal buddy who died and was resurrected in, in John chapter 11. Uh-huh. Lazarus goes to recline on Abraham's chest. And there's a gulf between the rich man and Lazarus. And Abraham says nobody can cross in either direction, which makes no mm-hmm. sense because why, does, why do people in paradise need a security fence to keep them out of hell? That shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. No one's doing that. And who wants to look at hell while you're in paradise? Like, exactly. Do you, that sounds horrible. What kind yeah. of person has <laughs> both earned heaven and wants to smell burning flesh? That's That doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. Yeah. So it, it portrays also this rich man speaking full sentences while he's allegedly on fire, which is impossible. Like, I, I would challenge in, anybody, submit your hand <laughs> in boiling water and, oh, and, and count to 10. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't do it. Now think about doing yeah. being on fire and trying to. to negotiate for a drop of water on your tongue 
which is inside your mouth, which shouldn't be burning. So, it, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of yeah. being funny, but th- this is the key. What, the reason the rich man is speaking, the rich man who's ignored the, the plight of Lazarus, you know, during his life, uh, he's in the afterlife still trying to be served by Lazarus. So he doesn't value this human being as more than somebody who can serve his needs. Interesting. So, so of course, the, I never saw it that way. So wow. there's no water. Uh, he's still on fire. And so then he's like, okay, somebody go uh, warn my brothers so they don't end up here, which you have to admit is pretty thoughtful for, for an evil guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Abraham, and plus he's still on fire, but he's still thinking and speaking clearly. And Abraham is like, no, they have Moses. They have the Torah to warn them. And we have to point out right here that there's not a single sentence in the Old Testament about Hades or torture in the afterlife or anything like that. So there is nothing in Moses to warn the rich man's brothers about what the rich man is experiencing. Hmm. But there are tons of passages about justice and caring for the poor, for the Lazaruses at our gates, right? Helping Hmm. the foreigner, uh, inviting and including the foreigner, loving your neighbor as yourself, all that. So, So the rich man and his five brothers are apparently Jewish and have the same Bible as every other Jew and therefore should know what God expects rich people to do with poor people at their gates. So, so, but here's the clincher. The high priest at the time of Jesus telling this story um, is a man named Caiaphas. And Uh and Caiaphas is the first high priest that the Roman government has installed. Um, Because uh, a high priest is supposed to be uh, supposed to inhabit that role by succession. But this was somebody that Rome installed because it gave them more control over the Jews because the Jews could, you know, in their minds be out of control. So Caiaphas is this installed high priest, an elite, wealthy insider, corrupt in a lot of people's opinion. And the clincher is he has five brothers. He has five brothers, um, Eleazar, Jonathan, Theophilus, Matthias, and uh, Ananus. Interesting. Okay. So, so, so you have this context. Imagine if I told the story of a rich man and a beggar and the beggar's name was a mutual friend between you and I. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, the rich man was, um, can I get political? Go for it. The the, the rich man is like this thrice divorced game show host who's famous for being rich. The culture immediately, everyone knows you're talking about. Someone who's loved, but despised but has been set forth as what God is up to. But for some mm-hmm. people, what God is opposed to, depending on the narrative that you prefer, this, this very well-known figure that can divide a room, he's the rich yeah. guy. The poor guy is somebody you and I both know who, who's had it tough. And the story I tell is that they both die and end up at a cosmic negotiating table. You wouldn't think for a second I was teaching about the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Right. You would, yeah. so, oh, wow. That's so interesting. So I think this is what Jesus is up to. It's a parable about the reversal of fortunes. And, and, mm. and Jesus is always doing that. The first will be last. The last yeah. will be first. The mustard seed turns out to be the biggest tree. The master is the right. servant. The least shall be greatest. Jesus is, you know, he, he's always flipping things over like that. So that's, that's, that parable is not a parable about hell. It's a parable about rich people keep making things worse, but a great reversal of fortunes is coming. Um, you're on notice, people of influence and platform with great power comes great responsibility, blah, 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 you know? (laughs) Oh my goodness. That just like understanding that context completely changes the way we understand that passage. 
I feel like that's just happening for me so much lately. Like understanding mm. a little more historical context is like, whoa, mind blowing. But is it not ri- so, richer for you with that context? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's for me like, too. yeah, it just changes completely how I think about. Yeah. And you're right. It makes it richer and deeper. Yeah. So as you said in your message, Many of us then wonder if there's no hell, what was the point of Jesus's death and resurrection? Kind of like you said, you needed good news and bad news to juxtapose against each other. So would you talk about that with us? What was the point of Jesus's death and resurrection? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I couldn't possibly answer that in my lifetime, let alone the time we have left today. And I (laughs) I don't mean that as a cop out, but I just, I I, know that's true. I I know what I don't know, but maybe maybe with this context, we can all go back and reread Paul because Paul never mentions hell or any word that could be mm-hmm. translated hell. Uh-huh. So if Paul didn't need it and Paul gave up everything, including his life because of the death, burial mm-hmm. and resurrection. Remember he said, if Jesus isn't resurrected, we're, we're the most pitiful people there are. If right. he didn't need hell, Gehenna, Hades, Sheol, yeah. anything, um, then maybe we can, we can just start over makes you think. Yeah. yeah. So there's several theories about the cross um, and what they have meant to different people over the, uh, over the eons. Um, but <laughs> so I, I don't think I have it locked down and I'm not supposed to say mm-hmm. that as a pastor that's been doing this for, for, you know, a while, but I just, I just know, I don't know. All I know I is love that you can say that as a pastor. I think that's awesome. Um, well, thank you for that. Yeah, because uh, I, I am aware that some can't that, that you, you really have to uh, sort of uphold the line. And uh, I don't mm-hmm. have to do that where I'm at. So I can I can say that's with awesome. integrity, I, I just don't know. I'd like to trust me. But every time I think mm-hmm. I do, uh, I, I think that I that I know I, I just I realize I don't. All I do know is that God resurrected Jesus. Uh, according mm-hmm. to the scriptures, and, and importantly, it wasn't Jesus who did it. The the the, the scriptures say that God resurrected Jesus. Mm-hmm. So God the Father sort of vindicates Jesus's whole life and ministry, his whole way. So so the crucifixion is like the culmination of, of so much corruption and deceit and abuse, and it all gets dumped on Jesus. All this visceral sin and, and awfulness, and rather mm-hmm. than retaliate. Jesus absorbs it, praise Father, forgive them, they're ignorant. He dies, and three days later, he's back on his feet, you know, offering mm. breakfast and saying, follow me. So we don't need a threat like hell leveled at us to appreciate, I, I don't think, what's, what's being offered, you know. Mm. And, and here, this, is, this is important uh, for me. Acts chapter 2 records the first sermon, and Peter says, be saved from, right at the end of his sermon. Mm. But he doesn't say hell. He's, he says, be saved from this corrupt generation. The word scolion, mm. where we get scoliosis. So, Oh, interesting. He says, he doesn't say, if ever there was a time to say, be saved from the hell that you're all heading to right. if you don't confess Jesus. He says, no, be saved from this crooked, twisted, perverse society. It's gone mm. wrong. It strains under its own weight. It's, it's lost its strength. Be rescued from it. Well, how? Mm. Well, instead of living our lives in accordance with the twisted society or trying to gain ascendancy like Caesar or Herod or whoever else, become a Christ one, become a Jesus follower. Mm. So that, that's how the first sermon went. Be saved, look around, point your finger in any direction, and um, you can be saved from that, not by becoming bitter, but by becoming a Christ one in its midst and, and, mm. and, and being light and, and a shadowy place. Wow. 
which is plenty. That's a life full. That is a life full. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Wow. Thank you so much. This is just like amazing Mm -hmm. and mind blowing and so rich. So you guys definitely check out Steve's church cross point just in North Carolina, but, um, you could watch online. That's my mom watches online. My (laughs) sister gets to go there. (laughs) I get to watch online and it's just a beautiful community of people. So definitely check it out. I'll have it linked down below and I'll see you all next week for another episode about growing the good Christian girl. Thank you again, Steve. Thank you. So appreciated having you. Thanks for having me. And this was the first puzzle piece for me to start understanding held differently in what I believe is really a way that honors scripture and honors God. I loved that interview and I hope it could speak to you too. And so this was part one, the first puzzle piece, but it still did leave me with a lot of questions, which we'll get to in the next episode. Next week, we're going to have part two in our series on hell with Pastor Joshua Butler, the author of The Skeletons in God's Closet. And this is going to talk about, well, why did Jesus die? What is hell and what is heaven? And if someone hasn't checked the box Christian on their spiritual resume by death, what happens next? So I'll see you next week for episode two in our series on hell.